Hello, Greenfluencers. I'm Vis, and we are at episode nine, season four of the podcast. Hard to believe that we've nearly finished the fourth season. So on today's episode, we've got our youngest guest, whose name is Chloe McCormick. And Chloe has done some amazing things despite only being in year 11. She's the creator of Code Green, a platform that encourages our kids to code and learn about climate change. She's also a host of her own podcast. So I hope I'm not going to be judged too hard here. So before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm on, with other, which are the Daruk people. And I would like to pay my respects to elders, both past, present, and emerging. All right. So we've got Chloe McCormick. And what really struck me about Chloe was she was very confident and was very proud of the work she put out. And she's in a very exciting space and in the intersection of both climate change and also coding. And she really wants to empower young people, more importantly, at the primary school level about how they can learn more about the space given that they are going to be other people who are affected by climate change. She also has her own podcast, as I mentioned, and she's interviewed chair people, various execs, and she's got that running for a while. And she's also a student at Melbourne Girls College. In her spare time, she also likes a bit of tennis while she's not busy with all these many things. So welcome, Chloe. It's a pleasure to have you on board. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. Awesome. And I did want to start a little bit about what makes you so excited and so driven when you're only quite young and you're only 16. And I wanted to ask, how did this passion come about? Because you're a content creator yeah. and you're also a host. And why did you want to do it? And why at this age? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I think for me, I've always been a pretty driven young person. And that was mainly explored through my academics. So like within my school, I really enjoy my mathematics and really focusing on that and namely coding and computer science. And so I've always had an interest in coding, but as well as that, I think like a lot of other young people, climate change is a really important issue for us. It's essential that we have knowledge and understanding about this. And so I kind of started thinking, oh, how can I explore these interests outside of school? So I've done that namely through the podcast, Dynamic Climate where I've combined more my interest in climate and business. So I have walked to interview business leaders who are leading in the climate space and ask them questions about how their industries are having to change and whatnot. But answering your question about what has driven me to explore this space, obviously for me, it's a major value and need to say that I'm helping to contribute to fighting against climate change. But as well as that, you can't deny the opportunities if you're thinking about future careers of, oh, if I can be someone that employees can see that, you know, is really knowledgeable and an expert in this space, how can I add value to their organization is this is super important in their business. So, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I think you touched on some really good points. And the first one was like the idea of, I guess, solving the problem. And I think we're seeing that shift where in the past it was I want to choose a career profession. Now it's like, I want to choose a problem and I want to find the skill set for me to solve it. And I think you're doing that really well through coding, which is really cool to see. And on that note, you're part of one of the many Gen Z people. I'm also part of Gen Z, believe it or not, but who are, I guess, more climate conscious, more aware of social impact than previous generations. And some people could argue that's because we're more affected by it. But I think there's more of an underlying cause. And I'm sure you've seen this among your peers as well. So 
why do you think our generation, so to speak, is so passionate about like climate change and social impact? So what do you think drives this? Yeah, I think a lot of it's also the culture and how, you know, we, that's like a part of, oh, how do I phrase this? What I will say, so undeniably, it's a real great understanding of how to affect us and that being from when we were a young age and seeing as we're growing older, how the climate is changing. And also just, I think with Gen Z as well, now us being digital natives, that dialogue is a lot more open and perhaps you have more exposure to other people's ideas. I would argue though that older people definitely, like even if initially they were a bit not so believing in climate change now, having seen the evidence, they're definitely getting more on board with it though. I'm not sure if I answered your question very well. No, I think you I think you did answer it well. I think like a lot of it is being pushed by our generation and especially like even small things like in terms of recycling, in terms of composting and just getting the awareness across because I think like one of those things where if it doesn't affect you as much, you probably don't want to act on it. And we know it's going to affect us. Yeah, like quite a bit. Cool. That's, uh, that's really interesting. That whole topic, just going back to the idea of creating more content and, and really, and using that as a platform to enable change. I think that's something that Gen Z does very well in terms of using social media and, and using various platforms and things like that. But interestingly enough, like you actually appear on the newspaper, which is a very traditional media platform. And I think that's so cool. So for our listeners who may not know, Chloe was on the front page of the AFR and that was pretty cool. So do you want to tell our audience how that came about? Yeah, for sure. So as you talked about a bit, so I've got a real great passion for technology. And so as part of that, I am and was really um, interested in analyzing like the technology behind cryptocurrency and that blockchain technology. So early last year, I just saw an ad for the um, Australian Financial Review's Crypto Summit. And I thought, oh, that's something really cool. You know, I'd really like to be able to go online and watch that and hear from the speakers. But, you know, unfortunately, I didn't have $800. I am, you know, in high school, I don't have that type of money. So I just thought I've always had a bit of an attitude of, you know, if you don't shoot your shot, you'll never know. You know, nothing lost, a lot to gain. So I just emailed the senior reporter for that event and I just told him a bit about myself, what I'm doing. And I offered, I offered so generously in return for a ticket, I could do some PR work for them, you know? So yeah, they said, oh yeah, we'll give you a ticket. And then a few weeks later, when the event was happening, they said, oh, Chloe, we'd love to have a call with you. So Lucy Dean, one of the, I think she's a wealth reporter at the AFR, she gave me a call asked me a bit about my experiences with cryptocurrency and learning about that and also my experience and my takeaways from the AFR event. And then I expected myself to just be on the online version of the paper. I didn't have any idea. All I remember was it was the last day of school and it was really warm. And they said, oh, Chloe, we're going to have a photographer come. And they were being a bit secretive about where the article was going because I was trying to suss it out from the photographer, I'm saying, oh, where's the article? And he's being pretty particular. Oh, and he even said something I remember like, oh, the editor wants her to sit like this. And then the next morning, send it out. This is actually quite interesting. So yeah, I just assumed, oh, I'll get an email saying that it was online. Good job. Thank you for the story. But what I see is I have a message in my LinkedIn messages. And it's from a chairman at a major company that I interviewed for my podcast. And he just sends me, Great article in the AFR today, Chloe. And it's 8 a.m. on a Saturday. 
And I'm like, Mom, we have to go. We have to go to Woolworths. We have to see. And then we go. And there I am on the front page. And I was just like, wow. And that was a pretty cool experience, though. Wow, that's phenomenal. You have, yeah. to, you have to give me the contact of that person in the yeah, airport. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> no, but that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm guessing you have a signed copy. I'm guessing the copy somewhere at home. Oh, I've got a whole... It's, <laughs> because it's like two big pages, yeah. so I've got it. Yeah, I think it cost me $200 to frame it. I'm going, yeah. yeah. But it was very worth good it. Investment. I'm glad I did because, yeah, who knows, in the future I might want to like put it up somewhere. That's that's super cool. That's super cool. <laughs> so I I guess like you've always had a passion for technology and, and trends and social impact. And I think like that's also been the focus of your podcast because mm. you have a podcast focused on on climate. And I, I think what's really cool is that you've got like these very high profile people, but I guess the podcast is in chunks like in small, I'd say not too long, maybe eight to 10 minutes. And I think that makes it very effective. How did the whole like podcasting journey come about? And why did you make the transition to focusing on the climate space in particular? Yeah, so for sure. So the podcast, how it initially came about, it was initially called Mentors Connect. And I created it because I'm really fortunate. Like I have, now I've had a lot of mentors who help and support me, but probably my biggest mentor, I connected with him through LinkedIn and He's provided me a lot of career advice and I was telling my friends about it. And they said, oh, Quilly, why don't you create a podcast and you could interview other people like your mentor and other people then could listen and learn about their careers and their industries. So initially it was just Mentors Connect. It was a very general business podcast, I'd say, focused at connecting young people with these very high profile business leaders that are usually very hard to get in contact with. And Honestly, whilst now it makes sense to have the short form podcast, just being very short, my main reasoning behind doing that was I was thinking, okay, these people are very busy. So if I keep a shorter time, then they're probably more likely to say yes, because mm-hmm. it sounds a lot easier to say, oh, can I just have 15 minutes of your time? You know, to be super quick, I'll make it super easy. So that was, but yeah, obviously as well for Gen Z in general, like I know for me personally, my time. My attention span isn't that great, so that worked out quite well. But I've recently made the transition to now being called Dynamic Climate and focusing on the intersection of business and climate, just because, A, I think it's really good to sometimes have a bit of a more of a focused podcast so you can go more in-depth with things and I can provide more value to the listeners. But as well as that, yeah, definitely, like every business now, you know, they have to have a strategy when it comes to climate. Climate is permeating through every industry. It's so important. And whether you're planning on being directly in a career with climate, you're going to have to know something about it. So that was really the reasoning behind it. But I'm really happy with the change. I think it's been really positive. I've been getting a lot of positive feedback. And yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, super cool. I, I think with no bias, that's a really good, it's a really good pivot. <laughs> Give it similar kind of thing, like focusing on the intersection of business and climate change and coming from a finance background, the whole ESG space and how do we shift capital and the tool that plays for like a net zero world or to reduce greenhouse gas emissions is so critical. And I guess on that note, you know, you've interviewed some amazing people with like decades of experience. What has been the biggest insights from them, both from a climate point of view or just like life advice in general? Yeah, I think like for them, they've like talked about how within their industry, the whole time they've been in it, it's always been constantly changing. So the need to be able to be able to constantly learn and adapt, adapt to the changing climate. As well as that, I think just in general, what I've learned is, you know, these people that have had a lot of great success are really successful leaders. 
they're really good at communicating, really quick on email, I found. It's been really good. I guess I was actually talking to my parents about this, but you also get an insight into how great of like people, persons these people are and how great they are just communicating and those like more EQ skills, those soft skills as opposed to, sure, I'm sure they've got really great, you know, analytical skills and everything. But yeah, their ability to communicate and connect, I think, is pretty obvious to me as well. For sure. I think like it's so interesting sometimes how people can be so busy, but they're so helpful mm-hmm. with their time and oh, exactly. how much they're willing to share with young people is, is really cool. And I guess on the other side of the coin with your work on Code Green, that's focused for children. And because of their age, they wouldn't have that knowledge or yeah. that background about the space. And I guess they're seeing everything firsthand. They might be seeing floods or bushfires and things like that. Or they might be learning to recycle, like all those really cool stuff. So within your platform, how do you communicate climate change to them? Yeah. So just to tell everyone a bit about Code Green, it's a workshop organization I run where myself and I've now got my friends. We go to community centers, schools, et cetera, and we teach primary age school children coding climate change concepts. So how I engage these students with these concepts in an engaging way I've heard is that Basically, I created a board game, a bit of a board game, and the kids, we all stood around a table, they rolled the dice, and every time we maybe go onto a new climate challenge or a new renewable energy, depending on the game we're playing. So I'll tell you a bit about the renewable energy game. So it looks a bit like I've got like solar panels and I've got wind turbines. And basically what happens is when they land on the new renewable energy, I challenge them to try to code the logic of how it works. So I've created puzzles and they have to be able to order the basic, you know, like instructions of how solar panel like generates electricity. So that really is teaching them how these things work, as well as also the coding logic of things being a step-by-step process and needing to be logical with that thinking. So that's been interesting. And honestly, the kids love it. And I think it's really important when you're working with this age of gamifying things and making it an enjoyable experience. I had this little boy the other day and he probably knew more than me. He was so excited. I'd be asking questions like, guys, before we start the game, I always start with a bit of like, a bit of a, oh, what do you know about climate change and all? What can you tell me? And he's telling me all the facts and I was pretty impressed. So even at a young age, you know, I guess little kids are getting on their phones really young now as well and technology so they're seeing a lot of this earlier on yeah wow that's so cool using technology and being open to that being able to access that like it really helps a lot so with this renewable energy sort of game how how does it work like do you sort of look at the different types of renewable energy and what's the objective for students is the objective to solve a problem or to work out how how it would work in the grid can you just maybe go into a bit of depth over how it works. Yeah, for sure. So it really depends on what program we're running. So for instance, I've got organized like a one-off program where obviously we can't go as in-depth and then a more in-depth like, three-week program. With a one-week program, it's more about just igniting their curiosity in climate change and then encouraging them to go out in the future and explore it more on their own. But for the renewable energy game, we just focus on the different, like, you know, the sun, wind, ocean, and we just try to get them. And also we actually talk about coal because I think that's important to understand what fossil fuels are. Yeah. But we just get them to start thinking about 
or like, you know, why is one perhaps good? Why is one maybe not so good? How can we start, you know, thinking about how we could implement that within our own lives? I've actually had a few parents come up to me and be like, Chloe, what have you done? We now need to get solar panels apparently and it's going to cost us money, but no, it's all good. But so yeah, that's like the more the one week program and that's more just giving them a pretty brief introduction to a few of the renewable energies and the coal as well and how that all works and why it's maybe a bit not so good. And like for the longer programs, we go a bit more in depth. So for instance, we had one lesson and I called it like our dinosaur lesson and we talked about, you know, how like fossil fuels are formed and, you know, why we use it for energy, but, you know, why is it bad when we burn it? And then they try to code a bit of the logic of a part of an online game I created. So I keep it pretty open though, because when you work with different groups, I think like not even going in too much into all of like the different demographics of schools and everything, I do try to connect with low SES schools quite a bit. And so you do have to adapt it for different learning needs. But yeah, just yep. trying to keep them engaged. Um, I also have another program where we focus on like climate, solving climate challenges. And we'll talk about things like turning off the tap when you're not using it and bushfires and gardening and composting. But it's pretty open. It's still very young, like this whole program. I started it in April. And now as we're growing, I've got about 10 of my friends on so far. And we're trying to like go to different states and whatnot so as we get bigger though and I have more friends coming along it's not just myself you know being my own criticizer we're changing it up all the time so wow it seems like code green's really exploded in the past I know it's crazy I'm so happy it's so good yeah Yeah, if you if you guys expand to Sydney let me know oh yeah oh we'll talk about this afterwards (laughs) Yeah, well, how we chat after, but I really like it how you focus so much on the user and sort of tailor made different programs in terms of like, I guess you mentioned you'd go in a lot more depth and understanding fossil fuels on one occasion. Yeah. And then another occasion, you know, you're focusing more on the types of renewable energy. Mm-hmm. And another occasion, you're focusing more on composting. And I think the other really interesting thing was you mentioned targeting the low SES schools mm-hmm. because I think that's super important because. I think that you and I know that there is a huge disparity, even within a city like Sydney, Melbourne, or any other city in Australia between, I guess, the well-off and and those from a lower socioeconomic status in terms of opportunity, access to like technology, right? And I think coding is such a fundamental thing that should be accessible. I'm wondering if you can talk more a bit about that, like other yeah, sure. like, differences in terms of, say, what a child in a low SES school would know about climate change versus someone in like middle-class school or like an upper-class school. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I've had a pretty interesting experience with this. And like, just for context of everyone else, and I know my background, I am very privileged. I'd say I go to a very good school and live in a good area. But yeah, I ran a program that was in one of probably the lowest SES suburbs in Melbourne. And the kids were lovely, but you know, a lot of them, they don't have access to a computer at home. I was running it at the library. So They only had access to a computer once a week at this code club where I was running the Code Green workshops. But in saying that, I would argue they were the most engaged because they really treasured that time they had with coding and be able to use the technology. But yeah, you definitely see a a difference. Like for instance, in the high socioeconomic areas and the schools within that, the kids, oh, they definitely, I'd say, yeah, they're very switched on and they know quite a bit 
about climate change, but I'd argue that, you know, no matter what the background is, like going to schools now, the education system and teachers are amazing. And no matter what type of school they're going to, the teachers are working really hard to teach the kids about climate change. But yeah, I will be honest, like it made me a bit sad when I went to that library in the lower SES suburb and just made me really reflect on my privilege. But yeah, overall, everyone's really excited to learn, but you can see the disparities for sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's really good that you're aware of that. And I think it's really good that you are targeting those low SES sort of areas because those are the areas that need the most support. As you said, they probably don't have access to laptops. So no, I think it's really awesome that you're doing that. Um, so hats off to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I guess in terms of Code Green, have you guys, because I, I think you mentioned it started off with you and then you built a team and you've got a few of your friends around it. Have you guys thought about what are your goals? What's your vision and how that linked to the bigger picture, the ultimate, what's your, mm-hmm. what's the highest order goal you can think of and how will that say help Victoria or help Australia? You know what I mean? Well, I think like for me, especially a lot of my friends, they have more of an attitude of like, Chloe, this is your baby. We're here to support you. I'd really like to try to see how like we can lobby to make it compulsory for implementing like climate education. And it's quite easy to implement, in my opinion, within the current curriculum, whether that be in the compulsory coding part, which I'm trying to see how I can bring in what we're doing with Code Green into the compulsory coding curriculum that they brought in for early level in high school. So I think that would be a pretty major goal. I guess in general, we want to expand overseas. So for instance, right now, I'm organizing us our expansion to New Zealand and Canada. But if we could go to different countries, I think that could be pretty cool and tailoring to their different climate situations there would be pretty amazing. But, you know, also trying to take things one step at a time is no good. We've got these big plans, but then we don't have the system set up. So ensuring that I've got everything in line and in order. And yeah, hopefully that we can see what goes from here. That's amazing. I love how you've got like really big plans, but on that same note, I'm glad that you're also happy to enjoy the moment, enjoy what's happening now. Because like, yeah, like you are still quite young and there's like so much of things to do. And I love that you're driven. I have to also study. Oh, I've got exams. I've had to neglect Code Green a bit lately. It's been pretty sad, but okay. Like I've got my friends to help. That's good. That's good. No, it's really awesome. You've got that good support system. I want to touch on quickly. You mentioned the idea of of lobbying and looking at, you know, how do we implement climate education and how do we make coding compulsory? And I feel like, you know, there, there is that sort of push from young people in, in the climate space. I, I've heard about Anjali Shaba. She's done some really cool stuff in terms of like focusing on, on the duty of care. And she's doing something called the duty of care bill where she wants to ensure that the government is considering the needs of young people when they look at climate change and, and things like that. How would you go about, I guess, looking at the legislation side of things? Is that something that you've talked about? I think like for me right now, it's a focus of how can I connect with teachers and see how I can improve the programs we're having to see if teachers of their own accord can start bringing in what we're doing into their classrooms. So I think like at the moment, the strategy really is, okay, let's see if we, that's when I, I didn't even mention it before. A major goal for Code Green is to try to get it in classrooms and used by teachers and, you know, having like lesson plans and whatnot. But yeah, so I guess like my goal within wellbeing is actually showing the government, for instance, like, okay, we've actually got these teachers, they're having great outcomes in the classrooms. 
you know, implementing climate change into the curriculum. You know, why don't we make this compulsory and also support teachers that perhaps don't know about Code Green, do this within their classrooms. So, yeah, but honestly, it's probably not the biggest priority. And I know there's a lot of working paths that come to all of that when you try to do policy and lobbying. And I don't think I could deal with that right now. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Just taking one step at a time. Yeah. I'm so keen to hear the journey, keen to hear about the journey. And then, yeah, I, I wanted to I wanted to touch on a really exciting thing that you're doing with your friend, more on the research side and that the Space for Planet Earth Challenge. Yeah. And I did see the video that you and your friend put up on LinkedIn. And I think it's like really interesting, like focusing on methane hotspots. So can you just tell our audience a bit about the challenge and what exactly you guys are doing in it? Yeah, for sure. So my friend Olivia and I were currently participating in the incubator program for a challenge called Space for Planet Earth, run by Space Base and it's got a lot of great supporters like the Australian Space Agency, AWS and so on. But really what the challenge is focused on is encouraging innovation in trying to limit methane emissions globally, utilizing satellite imagery and satellite technology. So my friend Olivia and I, we actually are currently working on building an artificial intelligence model to firstly be able to help us identify different types of naturally occurring methane sources. So that can be like forests, it can be rivers, lots of different types of things can be naturally occurring methane sources. So we want to try to create a bit of a world showing where all of these things are happening. And then our plan is to actually create a system of prioritization where we can then tell a new satellite which is being launched next year, which is called SAT-4. We want to be able to give it different areas. It should prioritize analyzing to then try to see how we can mitigate methane emissions. But for our project, really, we're focusing on building the artificial intelligence model for identifying the zones. So we're going to have to do a lot of research and actually already pre-existing research articles of, you know, how do we identify these different regions? And then the system prioritization hopefully will be the easiest part. It's actually building the yeah. AI and it's going to take a while. Yeah. It sounds very exciting and quite a lot of moving parts, but you no, know, it sounds it sounds very cool. And I, I do think like sometimes we get so into the focus on reducing CO2 emission mm -hmm. that we actually forget how harmful like methane actually is because it can be a lot more potent and a lot more deadly. Mm -hmm. So do you mind letting our audience know a bit more about methane and why it's so important for us to use technology to help identify these hotspots? Yeah, for sure. So methane is a lot more potent, as we said. So it actually holds the heat a lot more effectively than CO2 does. And that's like really dangerous as well because I believe it lasts for a really long time. So even though it's a really small percentage of methane, greenhouse gases currently in the atmosphere, it still makes a really big difference when it comes to global warming. So you probably have heard a lot about methane emissions from agriculture. So I'm sure you've probably heard of like the seaweed and feeding cows of seaweed. But actually naturally occurring methane sources, they account for almost 40% of methane emissions that happen globally. So like most obviously you think methane emissions is agriculture. It's probably more of the man-made industry. Not that much probably produces much methane. So if when you have 40% of something being produced naturally, you definitely want to have a look and see, oh, how can we, you know, maybe work with the ecosystems or analyze these areas to see how we can mitigate those emissions. So yeah, the naturally occurring zones, there's heaps, even like rice paddies and whatnot. A lot of things you wouldn't think could be releasing pretty serious hardcore greenhouse gases they are. 
Yeah. Wow. I think you've done a very in-depth explanation. Asa. Yeah. That's really good. So I guess just going back to the research, what has, I think the program might've started a couple of weeks ago. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What have, what have been your main findings from it? How, how has that process been? How is that different from like school or how is it different yeah. from having a startup? Yeah. yeah. How it's different is, so we got a lot of guidance, which is really great. Actually quite funny because Olivia and I have been very busy. So we haven't been able to participate like during the live sessions for the incubator. But we've been mainly looking at all the infrastructure which you need to actually do research. And we're quite fortunate in that Olivia, this other half of my team, she's actually just written a research paper using a systematic literature review method. So she's been able to use a lot of that knowledge to better identify how do we go about identifying the features of different small source methane emitters to then be able to feature engineer, which we use like to build an AI model. Also just go, being able to find our way around the AWS infrastructure has been quite interesting and, you know, being able to get, getting used to how you like work with the technology where you put your data. But yeah, def- there's still a while to go. We're just first two weeks in and we've got about three months left until the big pitch and proof that we win the $8,000. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hope you guys win as well. And yeah. remember, it's a marathon. It's a marathon or a sprint. So we were joking. It's going to be have to be a sprint marathon because we don't have much time. We wanted to build a whole AI model. And just to give everyone some context, I think other teams, they're focusing on like one small source methane emission zone. But we decided to focus on multiple. So that's going to be very interesting. But, you know, we might have to cut back maybe a bit on our ambitions. Ideally not, but we shall wait and see. No, oh, well, it's it's always good to aim high, and if you guys if you guys can pull it off, then I'm sure <laughs> you guys will be right up there. I think you mentioned like using AI with this task of of the methane hotspots. How do you think we can use AI to help solve the climate crisis? And what are some risks that you think we should be aware of? Because I'm sure that mm-hmm. it's it's something that's already used. Yeah. So I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah, AI, you know, it's all about statistics and probability and maths. So being able to identify risk definitely be already being used and solving problems pretty quickly, definitely for sure. The risks you'd have to consider for sure when you're looking at how you can implement AI to fight against climate change is there's pretty obvious ones of AI, you know, how transparent are the systems, the ethics, actually what is the goal of using said AI? I think AI is pretty interesting. Obviously, it's quite hot right now. Everyone's talking about it with the emergence of ChatGPT. But I say this as someone who's just like currently learning on the first year computer science course. But I think we have to remember whilst we talk about it as highly intelligent, it is at the end of the day like a statistics model and just using probabilities. And I don't think whilst it can be used as a tool to help us solve problems, we really need to leverage human intelligence to be creative and see how we can you know, look at things in different angles. And I think that's going to be the real key to solving climate change. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. There are certain things at this stage that AI can't do. Like it can do very routine tasks, yeah. but a lot of the human skills are going to be very hard to replace. So it's things like this, like, like even podcasting or, yeah. or even like being creative or problem solving. And that's something and, and creativity, collaboration, problem solving yeah. are things we all need in climate change. So I think the fact that you know AI, learning computer science, and you've got really good people skills will definitely put yeah. you in a very good spot. Awesome. Thank um, you. Yeah, awesome. 
Well, Chloe, we are heading towards the end, but I did have a couple of questions to ask you. And I think just before that, what's next for you? I know it's a very broad question, but you got a couple of things. So what's, so like, I guess, what's the plan in the next year? I guess you're going to be the last year of school and you've got a few things going on. So Yeah, last year of school, I'm being a bit crazy. I'm taking six subjects, even though I've already taken two. So that's going to be busy academics wise, but I'm pretty excited because one of my subjects is going to be university, environmental science and climate change. So I'm pretty excited to go with that. Yeah, the next year, lots of projects my friends and I are doing. There's lots of great opportunities within the climate space, especially as high school students to create innovative solutions, try to put them forward in competitions. So for instance, my friend and I were also participating in the Earth Prize, which is a youth prize, which is I think the prize is a value that a collective $200,000. So it's a very major prize. Also currently looking at like the Oxford Climate Challenge. And, but I think for me in the next year, I really just want to make sure I'm enjoying my academics as well as pursuing, achieving a few of the goals I mentioned before with Code Green and also continuing on with the Dynamic Climate Podcast, continuing to add value every week with new different inspiring leaders for sure and still having fun i need to have fun yes 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 i feel there's like a lot going on a lot of awesome things you're doing but remember to have a break and relax some time and (laughs) keep playing tennis yeah awesome so now for the speed round and the first question is a very interesting one so i think now there are so many platforms for young people to have their own brand but being in high school, it's quite intimidating to start because I think even for me, like I'm in my mid-20s and even I find it intimidating. So I can't imagine it would be quite hard at the high school level. So what tips do you have for young people who really want to start something but might be a bit intimidated? I think it's probably, I'm not the best person to ask because I have very much an attitude of, like I've adopted, I don't care too much about what other people think, like when it's negative or unless they're not my immediate family or mentors. I think you just have to really think at the end of the day, people are probably too preoccupied with thinking about themselves and you've just got to go for it. And, you know, like you might think that people are going to judge you, but all my friends, everyone at my school, they've been so supportive and just saying, oh, what a great thing you are doing. People actually are a lot more likely, I think, to graduate you rather than put you down. But yeah, I think you've also got to think about what you really want and are you willing to let fear get in the way of that? And I would encourage, if you're a bit scared and young, contact me for free. Happy to talk, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's really good. It's, I think that's very wise of you, Chloe. I think a lot of people, and even me myself, I get a bit scared of what I put out there, but I think it's all part of the process and realizing that everyone's giving it a go and people are very supportive. I do have also, I'm able to think to myself, well, people can blow me off because like I'm a high schooler, so maybe they won't take me as seriously. So I, I kind of use that as like, oh, I'm not as fearsome because if anything, you know, they'll just say I'm a high schooler. What do you expect? If you know what I mean? Like if that logic is making sense. Like there's not as high stakes almost. Yeah, I get what you mean. But I think either way, you are producing a lot of quality content. And thank you. Yeah. So I think I think they'll soon realize that like you're doing good stuff. So that's awesome. My next question. So what do you think are barriers for young people to access climate change or learn more about climate change? And what can be done by organizations to help young people access access the knowledge and education? I think a lot of it's got to do with interest in terms of, I think definitely at least within my school and I notice, so I go to an all-girls school and I notice there's a lot of other girls' schools. Girls aren't as probably inclined to the maths or physics 
And obviously, I think a lot of those things are really important when it comes to climate change. But I think we also need to remove this idea that to be able to solve problems within the climate space, that you have to be into maths or physics or science. You know, you can have a lot of other broad skills which still can have a really big impact in this space. And I think in my podcast, I kind of shown that a lot with a lot of the business leaders that don't have typically science backgrounds. So I think firstly, just showing to young people how actually, okay, you might not have the stereotypical what we'd expect skills for this role, but why don't you see how you can leverage this skill that you really have? I think you could really make a difference. In general, I think what the government could do when it comes to climate And I think this is a big discussion when it comes to careers in general of being more within the education system looking at how can we make it relevant to our lives. I think, yeah, especially with careers right now, I'm going through it in year 11. My school has been really great. We've been exploring lots of different career options, but I know with other schools, it's probably more stock standard. So really trying to just pushing the idea that we're probably not going to have the same career. Aren't they saying Gen Z is going to have like 10, 15 jobs in their lifetime? (laughs) So also reminding people that you're not going to have a linear career. What you think you might want for yourself now, it's probably not going to be the same when you're 26. So keeping an open mind and just remembering that if you have a few really good skills and on the willingness to learn, you're going to be okay. Yeah, so true, so true. You know, I wish someone told me that when I was in year 11. So <laughs> very true. I think that was really helpful. And the final question is, where can listeners hear more about the awesome work you do in your organizations and how can they get involved? Yeah, so first I'd really encourage you all to go and connect with me on LinkedIn. Just look up my name, Chloe McCormick. That's why I share the things I'm doing when it comes to Code Green, the workshop organization, and my podcast, Dynamic Climate. And if you want to listen to Dynamic Climate directly, you can go look it up on YouTube or Spotify. So yeah, it'd be really great to connect. I'm really happy to chat. Love meeting new people. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, Chloe. I think we could all agree, Chloe, you're quite determined (laughs) and there's a lot of problems that you want to solve. And I think it's amazing that at your age, you really want to make an impact and you have the guts to talk to all these, the guts to talk to all these leaders. I think that's fascinating. And I think like, yeah, the ability to combine your hard skills in coding with your soft skills and being able to solve a pressing problem like climate change, I think is something quite unique. And yeah, I encourage you to keep up the good work. And yeah, I'm wishing you all the best. And I have no doubt that we will collaborate with you in the future. So it's been a pleasure to have you on board, Chloe. Thank you so much, Fans. And thank you everyone for yeah having me on the podcast. And Green Influence is doing really great, great work. So yeah, keep that up, Fizz. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks, Chloe. And thanks to all our listeners. We'll see you back for the next episode. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,